Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. Las Vegas celebrates a lot of things. They've got an incredible mob museum. They celebrate neon lights over at the Neon Museum. Pinballs, the Pinball Hall of Fame, and another particularly interesting Hall of Fame that I just learned about is called the Burlesque Hall of Fame. And with us today is the Executive Director, Dustin Wax. Now, Dustin, boy, what a pleasure to talk with you about this because Burlesque does have a lot of history involved with Las Vegas, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. Um, some of the earliest, well, the, the Minsky started the first Hopless Reviews uh, here in Vegas at the Dunes back in the 50s, and Louis St. Cyr was a, a big entertainer here. Tempest Storm was a big entertainer here. Uh, so, yeah, from the beginning of Vegas Entertainment, the burlesque has been a big part of it. Now, let's explain to people what burlesque is. Some people get it confused with vaudeville. Uh, it's got a naughty side, but it's not all just strictly that, right? I mean, explain what it is. Right. Well, it is closely tied to vaudeville. Uh, vaudeville was sort of family entertainment, and burlesque was more adult entertainment. Um, in, in those days, in the first part of the 20th century, it was much more a variety show. There was no strip tease. Um, uh, nudity on stage was illegal in most places. Uh, burlesque itself is, is a theatrical tradition that goes back to the beginning of theater, of, of parody, of exaggeration, of sexualization, uh, and, and was used as a way to kind of poke fun at the heirs of the rich and powerful. Um, you know, you take these high and mighty people and you sex them up a little bit and you show that they're really just interested in chasing girls and whatever and it makes them seem more human more ridiculous um and so uh as it as evolved in the united states it combined with uh minstrelsy and uh and stage production to become that sort of variety show where you had dancing girls, you had uh, baggy pants comics, uh, which a lot of the sort of mid-century American comics came out of burlesque theater, Abbott and Costello, um, uh, Gleason, uh, Alda, <coughs> I'm trying to think of some other names. Oh, um, uh, Bert, um, uh, uh, Bert Lahr. Um, and Was it even like the Three Stooges? Didn't they start on there with some act? Uh, the something? Three Stooges, yeah. Some of the, the early Stooges. Um, yeah. As they swapped them in over the years, they were more and more likely to come out of you know com the comedy circuit that emerged. But but yeah, the um, uh, but what really sets modern burlesque apart is in the '30s when radio and the movies started pulling off a lot of those comics mm -hmm. um, and started replacing entertainment for most Americans. You know, they weren't going out to theater. They were sitting home listening to the radio or they were going to the, to the Nickelodeon to see movies for, you know, five cents or a dime. And that killed vaudeville because vaudeville was very dependent on stuff that was now in, in movies. But uh, what burlesque had was that sort of sex appeal, and so the emphasis on striptease became more and more important. Um, not, you know, it, it eventually evolves into sort of stripping as we know it today, but, but in the sort of 30s through 60s, the sort of golden age, 
burlesque period, it's much more, it's acts, there's still a sly sense of humor, there's a lot of um, back and forth with the audience. You know, someone like Gypsy Rose Lee uh, was known as the intellectual stripper because she talked, she read poetry, she told jokes, she, you know, was really talking to her audience, and what was revolutionary about that wasn't so much that there was a woman being sexy on stage, but that a woman was being smart on stage. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of that sort of intelligence and, and, um, and humor in burlesque that really sets it apart from you know, other forms of erotic entertainment. Yeah, I think people that confuse it too much with like a strip joint, really in its day was much different. And while it wasn't for kids, at the same time, comparatively, eh, it wasn't also uh, it wasn't also bad. Other than at the time, that was probably as bad as you could get yeah. <laughs> from from our viewpoint. Um, but yeah, at the time, from even in the 1860s, when the the sexiest thing that happens, women wore tights that showed the shape of their legs. That was scandalous. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, all the way through burlesque's history was always sort of scandalous, even though, you know, today we look at it and we go, you know, people are covered from their mid-thigh to their belly button and they're covered from, you know, the, the bottom of their breast to their neck. Um, but at the time, that was, you know, that was quite a lot. I um, mean, especially the taking off of clothes, the, the act of it. So you could have um, what are called tableau vivants, where a nude woman or nude women would be modeling on stage and holding a pose, and that was considered classic art in the same way that, you know, a nude painting was considered classic art. But, uh, but if she took a piece of clothes off, then it was a, obviously a sexual come on, and, uh, and that was, you know, scandalous. It was illegal. It still is illegal in a lot of parts of the country. There's a lot of states where burlesque dancers have to leave the stage and disrobe, you know, take a piece of clothes off and come back on stage and they bill it as a costume change. Hmm. Um, they're not allowed to take their clothes off in front of the audience because that is considered prurient. Well, I mean, this is a real interesting thing. And these are all the types of things you'll find on the Hall of Fame. Now, what gave you guys all the idea to do something like that? I mean, it's something that it's an important part of entertainment history, yet Maybe maybe because of some of those things you were just saying, we don't talk about it a lot. But uh, really, it's something where uh, a lot of our history, cultural history, can kind of be shown through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and so we've been around for a long time. The, the Burlesque Hall of Fame uh, collection started in 1965. So we just had the 50th anniversary of our collection um, and of the idea of having some kind of museum it was founded by a dancer named Jenny Lee, who was a uh, an AGFA member, the, the American Guild of Variety Artists. That's the union that represents uh, all kinds of variety artists, but you know that's where exotic dancers fit in in, in the mid 20th century. And she felt they weren't doing enough to protect exotic dancers, and so she formed the Exotic Dancers League as a section of AGFA. And in that was in 1955. In 1965. She, for their annual meeting, she invited people to bring their costumes and photos and start a burlesque hall of fame. And I think she kind of understood that in order to achieve the kinds of economic and political goals that they had as a union, they needed to present burlesque as less of a marginal thing that happened in the shadows and more of an, an art form and, you know, really highlight 
the artisticness, the creativity of it, um, and the and the the importance of that history. Um, she showed that collection in her in her bar in San Pedro for a while. And then in the 80s, she bought a, a goat ranch in the middle of nowhere in California, Hellendale, California, and started the Exotic World Museum. And that's our media precursor. Um, so the, uh, she passed away. It was then run by uh, another dancer, a friend of hers named Dixie Evans, who um, uh, ran it from 1990 up until about 2005, 2006. A storm blew the roof off the museum, and it was a very old building. I mean, it was a, literally an old goat ranch, and it was just not worth repairing. So they moved the collection out here. We opened up in 2010 here in Vegas down on Fremont Street. And as you said, I mean, this is an important history. It's an important part of entertainment history, obviously. It's an important part of women's history. It's a, uh, these, you know, most of the performers, uh, I mentioned the baggy pants comics who were typically men, but the dancers were almost all women and they were almost all independent business people, as as exotic dancers are today. You know, they worked for themselves. They had booking agents who booked them into theaters. Uh, they ran their own careers in a in a position that was very marginal to society, and yet uh, they, you know, they persisted. They they persevered, and they fought. Uh, there are performers of color who had to fight, you know, racism yeah. in the color line. Um, just as women, they were, you know, largely looked down upon. Um, they were largely poor working class background, and so it was a way to make you know almost everyone that you talked to from the who danced in the fifties and sixties was like, well, I was a secretary for whatever ten dollars a week, and I could make a hundred dollars a week taking my clothes off at the burlesque club, and so that was a no brainer for a lot of them. It was a way for them to make a lot of money in a time when jobs that paid well were almost all reserved for men. So. It's an interesting part of women's history and, and of working history, as well as just the American history of, of how the art form has progressed and how it's changed our attitudes towards uh, towards sexuality, towards nudity, towards women's bodies. And that's that's also very much a part of the, the scene today. I guess it was really something where, as will happen in our culture... It was a kind of a revolution of sorts where they were going to, you know, you just got a, a change. And that goes with, I guess, mm-hmm. went right along with the, the ability to move, right, and, and yeah. uh, go around the country. And urbanization and the creation of new audiences that were mixing both uh, uh, native people, native born people who had moved off the farm into the cities and then big, huge waves of immigrants that were coming in, Irish and Italian, East European. Um, and that kind of new melting pot of the city where, you know, women were working in factories and women were, you know, sort of coming out of the home, uh, particularly young women. And there were all these different cultural styles and all these different, you know, the, the rise of sort of a new working class identity in America. And burlesque fit right in now was a big part of that. What if every dollar you invested into your training program turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. 
E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Here at Epsilon XR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Training.epsilonxr.com. This is a time-sensitive message from the Back Pain Relief Hotline. Millions of people across the nation are suffering from back pain. Are you? Are you on Medicare? Is it hard to walk, to bend over, or even do simple things? Well, we have great news. If you're on Medicare, you could qualify to receive a pain-relieving back brace. We'll handle all the Medicare paperwork if you qualify and ship your new back brace right to your door. Make sure you have your Medicare card ready and please call us right now and get all the details. It only takes a few minutes. Imagine doing everything you used to do before your back pain. With your Medicare card ready, call the Back Pain Relief Hotline today. Call now. 800-419-1964. 800-419-1964. 800-419-1964. That's 800-419-1964. Paid for by the Health Alert Hotline. Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan? Well, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue. What does that do about the travel expense? E-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are. Then we need to consider the time away from production. I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training. Perfect. Let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online classrooms, simulations, virtual and augmented reality, and curriculum development. Get Epsilon XR on the phone. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com.